Howdy, everybody, and joining me here tonight on T Watches a Scary Movie, very good friend of mine. Uh, he is absolutely the person that I know I can turn to when I got something that's horror that I need to discuss. This guy is the guy that, you know, I got to talk to about it because we're on that same wavelength and everything. So joining me tonight, a uh, great person that I know, love, love, love getting to talk movies just in general with them. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Edward Bettencourt from Nerds That Geek. John, how you doing tonight, man? Hello, thank you. That is a hell of an introduction to follow. I, I'm doing great and I'm uh, getting butter on the roll here. So that's that's phenomenal. Appreciate it. <laughs> hey, man, I got to give you your props because, you know, we talked about it there, but you've been out there busting your ass for years at this point and as your friend it's been like one of the coolest things in the world to just see like things like they just keep happening and i fucking love that because number one you're a great dude you're like you're you're, you're a great person but number two your work is amazing like it's like really really good as well too like i like reading your reviews like the like the the team of writers that you have that are covering everything like you guys put up really engaging articles as well and like man you're on the pulse of everything like i swear to god like there'll be a random like post that goes by on my facebook it's like damn y'all got that too like y'all are into everything right now man yeah uh, wow i mean I, I, again i was not expecting to be this uh this such a warm welcome uh, and the same goes for you i mean it's been a pleasure to know you t for as long as i have and it's great to see you growing this as well like i, I loved your jerry o'connell interview um love the interviews you're landing you're doing a great job as well it's it's just uh it's so so uh, so wonderful to see you just taking it and running with it and 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 finding all the success that you're finding so i appreciate it i thank you for the kind words we uh we work real hard over there to make this uh, make this what it is. You guys really do. And I, I'm honestly curious about that because, you know, Nerds That Geek have been going for, you know, a few years at this point. And me and you really got connected over the convention scene because, mm -hmm. you know, you me and you both worked Denver Comic Con. We had a lot of our friends, uh, you know, working yeah. the shows as well, too. Oh, uh, yeah. What brought about Nerds That Geek? Like, tell tell my audience a little bit here about yeah. what Nerds That Geek does and how, like, you know, what, where did y'all come from? Basically? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, we're, we're a pop culture website, and we cover every corner of it that we can, and it, it continues to expand. Um, podcasts are a new thing we're starting to talk about and review a bit more, um, but we, we want to cover every corner of it. And really, it came out of a sheer disgust of just how negative the internet was and is, I guess, is probably the best way to put it, too. I mean... I don't know how many times you go on to see, you know, something about Captain America and it's about how much I hate Captain America. I'm just yeah. sitting here like, well, if you hate him that much, I'm amazed that you can dedicate a thousand words to him or, or an hour to him of your podcast time. Yeah. And why we waste really it? We wanted to do something different. And we really wanted to look at the storytelling. I, I am having worked in screenwriting, having worked in film a little bit. I'm of the opinion that nobody goes out to make a bad movie. I think, and even the ones that do, you know it, but they're doing it on purpose. Like when you look like, uh, Kung Pao, End of the Fist. Like, that's an intentionally B movie. Um, yes. But it's still, it's still done in a manner that doesn't make it terrible. It's, it's, it's fun. It's engaging. It's, you know, it might be culturally insensitive at this particular point, but it still tries to be more. But, you know, Airplane, that's, that's supposed to be a B movie that's funny. Yeah. Um, I don't think anybody goes out to actually make a bad movie. I think in their heart and their intentions are to go out and make a great film. But, you know, there are circumstances that change that. You know, casting changes can cause a huge deal in the end. Um, same goes with shows. I think, you know, things can go the wayside in a writer's room or things can lose focus. I think those are things that make something subpar, so to speak. But I don't want to say terrible. I think it's very it's very rare to find a story that's truly just hot garbage. Um, and we wanted to celebrate that. And that's really what we try to push and do is just celebrate the storytelling itself and really look at what people are latching onto, what they're talking about, what makes them excited about watching a particular show or a particular movie. Um, and we stuck with that and run with it. And it's, uh, it's taken us very far in a good way. And, and we're going to stick with it because 
you know, I mean, I'm 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 in my forties, but I'm not point ready to start doing the crotchety old man. Hey man, you still young? Yeah. Come on, man, we still going out <laughs> playing the game right now. Let's go, John. Let's go. Let's Let's before we get to that point of, of that. <laughs> That's us in a nutshell. It's a, it's a, it's a team of, of brilliant writers over with some really talented folks. We do you know, you know, more stuff we're getting into podcasting, getting back into that um, stuff like this. We want to start doing more of. Um, but yeah, it's been an absolute honor and an absolute wild ride the last few years where we've been seeing so much. Uh, so much uh, connection and recognition and just, you know, partnerships that are, that are new and exciting for us. Yeah. And going off something, you know, you just got done mentioning as well too. I'm curious when you and your team come at like reviews or looking into new shows, movies, whatever, at that point, um, do you find that when you're writing a review, when you're thinking about like everything that you went through, like enjoying something uh, or even if you don't enjoy it, do, do you find yourself like trying to pull back from being overtly negative? Because I have been seeing what seems to be a shift in uh, in reviewers the last like five years or so mm. to where people are trying to get away from saying like kind of like what you were what you were going with. Like, you know, nobody set out to make a bad movie. So do we come and just say like this movie's a piece of shit like this movie is just garbage <laughs> like have you seen your process as like a reviewer as an editor start to change in the last few years because like you said you said you're trying to get away from the negativity of the internet and everything so when you look at doing a review for like the films and tv shows that you're getting to watch and experience yeah. how are you approaching that um i think the biggest thing is for us maybe maybe it's changes we're getting in areas that we haven't done a lot of before um, we definitely had some requests to do some reality TV shows. Um, you know, we definitely had, you know, some of those pop up on radar and, and that's fine. I mean, you know, it, it's it, entertainment, entertainment. I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, not being that particular site. That's like, you know, well, this is, this is beneath, this is beneath us. This is beneath that particular form of entertainment. I think the biggest thing is if it's not up to snuff, what's the constructive criticism that you could say? Um, because, you know, there's been some movies that I've seen, you know, the production values, are lacking you know i mean like yeah. there's no there's no toys about it and you know, the, the money's not there but what did they do to maximize that budget what did they do constructively to talk about it and that made it worth one's while um and, and if by chance you know that you know there's still some, some issues of writing and that type of stuff what were they trying to accomplish what's the constructive piece that we can really dive into because there's something there there's a there's a reason that somebody put up the money being a million dollars or a hundred million dollars to produce this and and that's the, that's the whole thing is that high concept that wondrous piece that you know audiences are going to go see in some capacity um it may you know it may not be the the, the 20 million people that everybody's hoping for over the weekend but you know that's the beauty of, of television now is that it doesn't have to be 20 million people it can be a good loyal audience and it stays on the air on a streamer but the question is what can we constructively discuss what can we look at that and see um i think that's been a bigger challenge for reality tv because it, it can be a little formulaic at times um you know a lot of it's you know i mean you look at show like what example i mean we're not reviewing it but a great example is kitchen nightmares yeah same thing every week you know we go in you know, you know, Gordon's gonna gonna have some concerns. He's gonna eat some really shitty food, and probably get sick, um, and then critique it and fix it. Um, whether they last or don't last is no thing. But you know, reality TV has a formula for a reason. Um, but you know, what are they trying to accomplish? What are they? How are they trying to connect with the audience? What is it that makes this so appealing? Those are the things we want to talk about, latch onto. Um, so I think if there's any change in that, it's just making sure that we maintain that because it's always hard in, in writing in general to 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 not be able to be objective, especially when you do it for a while. Yeah. Um, and not to say that we haven't, you know, challenged ourselves or not done new things. Um, but at the same time, you know, how do you, how do you remain objective? How do you do that? So that's been the challenge I think for us, but I think we've met that challenge very well in my opinion, but I might be biased because, you know, I'm the editor. So. <laughs> hey, I mean, it, it's hard though, because like, I, again, I, I see and I read a lot of the reviews that y'all put out and so much of that content is stuff like, damn, like, 
again, this is perfect because this is all the stuff that I'm watching. So y'all have a great <laughs> channel that's engaging like to the people and the stuff that a lot of people seem to be watching. What do you do when it's something that you're just not like, maybe you're not interested and you don't have to drop names of movies okay. or shows or anything, but like what happens when you got something assigned to you or your team that's like, fuck, like this is just not something that like we care about, not something that we're that interested in. Like what actually gets you going to review that? Because it, in my eyes, and it's happened with a few movies I've had to review in the last couple of years. In my eyes, sometimes it seems like it might be hard to not take a negative spin. So like I'm fighting myself a lot of times to yeah. not go on a negative spin with that. What happens when y'all end up approaching like projects and stuff that you're not necessarily excited for? Um, Be objective. I think that's, I think that's, that really is it, honestly, is we have to just remember that, you know, this is, I think the hardest thing in, in modern journalism, especially with the web and the way that it is now, and even just in Main Street, because you look at how many, um, you know, just mainstream news sites have a struggle with this, that it has to be opinion and it has to be, you know, well, I don't care for this, so I have to speak negatively about it. You, you actually don't. Um, you just you just look at it for what it is. What What is the story? What is the high concept? You know, I mean, there are some drama sometimes that I'm like, OK, this isn't something that I would normally watch. Um, and that's OK. You know, I mean, it, it, but that's I think it's I think I, I get excited for it personally because that's a challenge. This is something that I, I wouldn't normally talk about, something that I wouldn't normally sit down and dedicate an hour of my time to and take detailed notes and, and go out and speak to. So how do I make that engaging for me? And that's lashing onto those higher concepts and lashing onto the to the deeper meaning of it and just being objective about it. This is what it's trying to accomplish. Let's just stick with that. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's the big key. And, and maybe something that's been lost in a lot of this, a lot of this mix in the last 10 years or so on the internet is, you know, everybody's got to have, I got to make sure my opinion is in there. Maybe not, maybe, maybe not. You know, I think in some things, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, if it's, you know, we're looking at a woefully offensive piece of, uh, great example is, I've been revisiting Star Trek The Next Generation very slowly because that's a lot of episodes. Mm -hmm. um, look, you know, they uh, the, the early years were pretty rough. Um, oh, not as rough God. as I remember because, you know, six, seven-year-old, he was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. They're on this planet and all these amazing – and I watch it now. I'm like, oh, my God, this is overtly racist. There's no two ways about it. Um you know? I have to stop you for a quick second because it's funny. Like thinking of early next generation episodes, I just I, I remember when I lived in Australia, our public library had like the like the VHS tapes of like yeah. two or three episodes, like the first two seasons. And y'all, if you have if you've never gone back and watched Next Gen, he's not kidding. Like those first yeah. two seasons are <laughs> rough, like rough, like worse than the original show ever could be at it. Like it's hokiest at that point. Yeah. Man, they're bad. They're very bad. But man, does that show come around though? Ooh. Oh, it Ooh. does. Yeah, once you get to season three, it's it's the ground running. But but that's ah. the whole point is, is is you know there's stuff there's stuff you gotta call out. There's stuff that you know it isn't a matter of opinion. It either is or it isn't. You know you 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 can you can sit there and 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 try to you know spin something that is overtly just what it is. But it's best to not to. It's it's it's, it's a being objective and calling it out. That's, and speaking of the TOS, that's another one too. Like man, I did not have as good a time doing those retro recaps for that one. We re reviewed all of them again. I went through every yeah. single episode. And there are some I'm like, man, this is this is really bad. Like the enemy within is, is a widely regarded great episode, but it's not a great episode. And I, I'm I'll, I don't care what flag I take for that. Kirk is you know the epitome of, of toxic masculinity, I think. And Spock's comment at the end, where he basically says, you know, you're asking for it. That's one of the worst things I've ever seen in television. And I understand other times and other things, but there's no shame in being objective and calling that out. And that's where you know it, it isn't about opinion at that point. Well, you know, yeah, you know, it had to think about the times. Yeah, you can think about the times, but let's but we know that that's wrong now. So yeah. not put opinion or, or, or put a spin on that. Just call it for what it is. Um, so that's that's the biggest thing. Just getting opinion out of a lot of this and just calling it for what it is and really being objective. 
See, and I, I have to kind of touch upon that because uh, there was a, mo- a movie that I actually got done reviewing recently mm-hmm. to where some of the themes that you're bringing up actually have been kind of really big on social media a lot. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, if you've had a chance to really look into it, Dashcam. Have you seen Dashcam yet? I know of it. I have not had the time yet, but it is on my very long list of things to watch. Yeah, and I enjoy Dashcam. Uh, I'm a big fan of Rod, uh, Rob Savage and Jed Shepard. And, um, and uh, oh God, I hate it because I should have her name. Jimma, Jimma Hurdley, I think is her name. I'm going to look it up because I want to be respectful to, uh, to the entire team behind that <laughs> there. But it's the same team that, uh, you know, that brought us host, the, uh, the, Zoom, uh, the Zoom horror film we got on Shudder. Great movie. Oh my God, so good. So, so good now. And there's been a lot of controversy over their latest film Dashcam hmm. as their lead character in that uh, is played by a podcaster and uh, you know, a, a personality out there, Annie Hardy, who has quite a number of unique views in today's world. Hmm. And what's been interesting is seeing the response to that because, you know, maybe I live in a bubble or whatever. And, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that um, it's rare that we see kind of reactions like that these days. So stream the movie, but what I thought was with a really, really well done film is now kind of getting savaged a little bit because of Annie Hardy's involvement in that. And it's yeah. interesting for you to note that like at the time, you know, the episode of the enemy within, of course, back then, nobody says one word about it. Like, Hey, cool. Oh, yeah. The sign of the times. And looking back now, I love the fact that you point out that, you know, you can like it, but you also do have to be, you have to be objective to it as well too. Like you have to admit that in, 2022 an episode like the enemy within may not necessarily be too pc for today's age now no not at all and it's and and, and I'm, i mean i'm glad that it you know is is still out there to be seen to be fond over and and yes it tries to accomplish a lot of great things but yeah and that's that, but you've seen a lot of that now too a lot of this you know um it's this interesting dichotomy now where you know things that we say on the internet have a lot of meaning and and you know it's i'm not saying you need necessarily no, I mean, you do need to mind your P's and Q's. I mean, you know, be, be decent for heaven's sakes. I, I don't want to sit here and, and suddenly contradict myself and say, no, behave. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's it'd be decent, I think, is, is step one. And that's been the hardest thing, I think, for a lot of folks is just being decent on the internet because there's that mask of anonymity and there's that detachment where I'm like, well, I'm going to say whatever the hell I want. And I I don't care for that, honestly. I think it's, it, 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 it's more, it, I think it takes more effort to be angrier than it does to be kind and just to, just to you know, to call call things as they are. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's, maybe that's the foundational piece is just, you know, for, for nerds and geek is just be kind. Let's, let's not, let's not be here to, to, to do what the, the angry folks of the internet like to do. I agree. And I, I've tried to live, live by, you know, those words, their last few years for sure. Uh, except when it comes to Jurassic World Dominion, that's the one I can't, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Oh man. Um, but uh oh if, 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh y'all make your own decision on that one there yes, uh, exactly. uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um uh and going off before i forget it was jimma hurley so i was very close jimma hurley okay. rob savage and jed shepherd are the creative team behind host and now dash cam um but that kind of brings us into you know what we're really focusing on here tonight now uh, a movie that you actually dropped you dropped a couple reviews for this one here you actually did both a spoiler free one um encompassing kind of the whole thing mm-hmm. and then you did one focusing on more so the stories that uh, i was really interested in uh you got a chance to review horror noir which yeah. we have to applaud you man because i gotta show up my friends and everything 
Somebody got a quote on a Blu-ray cover now. I did. I did. I'm not going to lie. That's been on a, it's been on my my goal list for for a long time. And it's not an easy thing to do. Um, So it's a huge accomplishment for me. And uh, yeah, it was a very fortunate piece. I mean, actually what it was, was um, we got a chance to see the the film in advance um, through a screener. And then uh, AMC actually took the, the 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 movie itself and broke it into took it six stories there and broke it into three episodes oh. friday nights um uh, a little actually what was the dates on that that was close to i have notes uh this uh, earlier this year actually in february um just so they could just because they could say you know same network same network company shutter's part of amc network so that's a chance to go ahead and, and put it all on on tv as well so it's a great chance to go back and revisit it and really dive deep into those six stories um so that's how that actually ended up working out is we got advanced access to both and it's it's amazing for those of y'all who have never heard of this project before. So uh, a few years back, there was a documentary that was produced on uh, Shutter, I believe, mm-hmm. that was called Horror Noir, and it was basically looking at the black uh, black culture in horror cinema for you know the last like we'll go hundred years or so. And they talked about uh, a lot of really really important movies uh, to the time: Ganja and Hess, Blackula. Uh, you know, Tales from the Hood. They also had all popular filmmakers, both behind and in front of the camera, joining in this as well. We had authors, and it's a truly, truly powerful documentary. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're familiar with so many of these films that they're talking about as well, too. Oh, yeah. And of course, this follow up, and that's the best way to look at it, in my opinion. It's a follow up, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, what, what kind of came out of this documentary was a group of black filmmakers getting together and making an anthology piece. And I am curious, John, before we kind of deep dive into it, sure. because I've always said that, you know, if slashers are my number one, then anthology yeah. horror is definitely number two, because I've always loved the idea that within about two hours, we can get multiple directors, multiple writers, different mm-hmm. casts. They can tell completely different stories. And for good or, or for better or for worse, there's always going to be something in there you like. Even if there is something in there you hate, there should always be something in there you like. So considering we've had really, really great anthology horror over the last like 30, 40 years, both on TV and movie mm-hmm. uh, movies, what's been your experience with anthology horror? Is that something that like you tend to gravitate to? Do you like those kind of movies and shows as well? I grew up with it. Um, so it's absolutely um, up my list. I mean, mine's a little bit different than your list. My, I would say anthology is a hard number two for me as well. Um, followed only by zombies, just because I grew up on a steady diet of the living dead. Yeah. Um, and I have George Romero to thank for that um, because the man was a genius. But ironically, it's Romero that led me to anthology horror because I grew up in the 80s with Tales from the Dark Side. Mm-hmm. So my Saturdays uh, here in Denver on KWGN2 was the, uh, they had the Saturday Night Slashers, basically. I mean, they would do... Um, very much remember it. They had that weird, I want to say it's from a Western soundtrack from Ennio Morricone. I might be wrong on that, but I just want to say, I remember they had this weird soundtrack, this montage of horrible things, and then it went straight to horror from like that till two in the morning. Um, and Midnight was for a long time Tales from the Dark Side. Yeah. Um, and I love that show. I'm actually going back through them right now um, on, on the site, um, just watching them again, which they are, they are holding up so well. Um, better than I remember, actually, which is amazing. Probably because, you know, context is for kings, age brings context. But, um, yeah, that was my first experience with it. And, you know, I was there for Tales from the Crypt every episode through. Uh, loved Monsters. Um, loved them, you know, love when you get anthology horror films. That was, I know they weren't like the the cup of tea of the 90s, since I think that was still the, the tail end of the slasher era. Yeah. But you know, Tales from the Hood's one that I loved. Um, God, I remember there was one, I can't remember which one it was called now. I want to say it was Campfire Tales. 
Oh, with uh, with uh, Cyclops, with uh, J James Marsden, yeah. Yeah, and I remember there's a yeah. guy, there's one of the one of the tales of terror. Some guy biting into a piece of chicken. Yep. And it, it's like a rat. Um, and oh. I remember that that bothered the crap out of me as a teenager. I don't know why it did because like that's, <laughs> you know, I watched The Walking Dead. I watched Weird Romero movies. I watched some really messed up stuff now. But it was the rat that got me somehow. Um, so for me, this resurgence right now between horror noir, creep show, whatever else is in the pike. Um, Oh, it's just it's it's heavenly. It's 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 the it's the renaissance that I've been waiting for. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, especially I mean, granted, it, like this has always been a thing like and it, it, it's interesting you mentioned Tales, the, uh, Tales from the Dark Side, because uh, compared from the movie to the TV show, mm -hmm. the movie had like that wraparound tale, which is something that you mentioned in one of your reviews for uh, for horror noir as well, too, about the idea of there being or there not being a wraparound tale in these stories. And some of you are probably familiar with this is that a lot of anthology films out there. They do have some kind of wraparound story, as it's called, that takes place out of all these other tales that either maybe ties them together or there's some loose continuity between them there. And yeah. horror noir is unique, uh, one of the unique ones, because there is no wraparound tale. Literally, yeah. it's start to end each story, move to the next one, move to the next one, move to the next one. And... Again, for those of y'all that haven't seen it, we have six different stories in horror noir itself, each telling about a different kind of horror, different kind of uh, monster, whatever you want to call it at that point. And the ones that I really wanted to, you know, to at least touch upon here were ones like uh, The Lake, like Sundown, and uh, definitely the one that I was enjoying, I think, the most now, which was... Let me see if I can remember it here. Brand, the brand of evil. The brand of evil. That's right now. Um, so three different tales out of the six here. One of them being about a uh, a teacher who returns back to a uh, to a former home of hers and finds out that there might be a monster that's terrorizing this lake that she's moved to. Mm -hmm. Sundown about a group of activists who end up in a town to where uh, the racial tensions might not be the only thing that they have to worry about when the sun goes down. And then, of course, brand of evil. When you find out how much would you sell your soul and other people's soul for a little bit of success, even if it hurts your own community. And John, I know you did reviews of like because you did a spoil like a spoiler heavy review of both the lake and brand of evil. So. Clearly, those stories stood out to you the same way that they stood out to me, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, actually, uh, it's a tough one because there is not a second of horror noir that I didn't enjoy. I mean, I sat there and watched the screen the first time, edge of my seat, you know, just, just you know, I, I think I had to go back and watch it again to get my notes down because I was just tranced the first time around. And it's very hard for me to pick, to pick favorites out of this. But if we're going to elevate three out of the six, those are the three that I would elevate, in all honesty. Um, just, I think, I think they definitely stuck out. I mean, Lake was a great way to start it. Brand of Evil is genius. Um, and Sundown is, is that perfect blend of commentary and comedy and, and terror. Um, but they're all just three wonderful, wonderful episodes through and through. And the, considering the fact that between all three of those we're dealing again, very, very different stories, which we we've mentioned, it's, it's one of the best things about anthology horror. You don't oh, have yeah. to worry about telling the same story over. So we get, you know, a lake monster or siren versus vampires versus, you know, Satan at that point, basically. And it, it, you know, I, I am curious because I, I got to kind of put you on the spot with this here. <laughs> um, we know that obviously as a movie like Tales from the Hood, there's a lot of social and political commentary in that film about how things were going at the time. 
Mm-hmm. And it's a movie that's still it's still relevant today, honestly, with things oh. that are going on in our world. Very and relevant. coming at it, you know, uh, coming at it from you know, you're not not a black person basically, but watching these stories there, um, how like did, were they invoking any feelings from you? Some of the subject matter that we got across all of these different tales in this movie. Now, like, how did you feel, especially in this crazy world that's gotten even so much more crazier over the course of this pandemic? the last few years now, you know, what kind of things were you feeling when you got to check this movie out for the first time? Um, I think for me, it was a matter of shutting up and learning. Um, I think that's actually why I went to see one of the main reasons I want to see horror noir. It was on my list before and I put up a priority list to watch it. Um, the documentary when it first came, uh, when it went back in 19, um, and 20, just because of the fact that, you know, those were well, more so 20, cause it was that tumultuous time. And I'm, it was an opportunity to learn is what it came down to from horror noir, because you know what, do I understand, you know, that do I understand the complete history of black horror? No, I don't. Um, did that help that a lot? Absolutely. And it helps speak to, you know, I'm a big, big, I love underlying commentary on horror. Um, it's another reason I'm a big fan of George Romero. He's the guy that taught everybody that you can make a compelling and entertaining movie and have a ton of depth underneath it and, and do both and never keep one side of the fan base out of it. If you want that depth, it's there when you want it. If you don't want that depth, here's a guy getting torn in half. Um, it's, it's all there as, as you need it to be. Um, so to go through and learn about the commentary and to start seeing some of the societal issues it was dealing with is to me just a great learning experience that I need to, I need to know better. I, I, need, to, I need to know those things. Um, but at the same time, I'm somebody who I try to stay as in touch with the world as I can. Um, so you know, reading what I can about the world, reading what I can about what's happening in it, is something that I think is very important. You should, you should stay educated on that. I don't think education stops when you graduate college or whatever level of, of education you complete. You need to be educating yourself about the world because that's what you're in now. It's not a classroom. It's not tests. It's 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 the, it's the world, and it can be a very mean and angry place, and it can be a very wonderful place too. But you know, that's what those three, um, two of the three for sure, stuck out for me was you know just keeping my pulse on that, listening to listening to what's happening on social media, listening, you know, listening to the news. Um, because despite what people will tell you, there are very biased channels out there. If you just take a minute to ignore the opinion portion and just watch the news. Um, so for me, it was a very much a learning experience and, and a good perspective because this movie is written and directed by black voices, a good perspective that I know I'm getting an honest perspective on that. I'm really getting a chance to learn and understand what appropriation is here, because that to me is what brand of evil is about is appropriation and you know the the socio-economical disparity that you know this is a great way that we can you know that that I, I apologize if i'm talking out of turn here's respect but of keeping of keeping black people down you know here's yeah. here's a boatload of money if you just you know stay good. Yeah. <laughs> and i i'm curious because um again especially in the news you know uh the last last three years it's just again it's like every day there's something in the news there that's just heavy to get on do you think, and I'm sure I get the answer to it, but do you think that it's easier to come at like some of these more sensitive topics and things that we're, we're plagued with in our in our world today, it's easy to come at that when it's under the guise of like a horror movie, for example, like, hey, like, you know, there's inequality and there's appropriation and there's uh, there's indifference and there's all this stuff, there's bigotry, but... You know, if we put if we put the devil in there, if we put if we put a vampire in there, <laughs> it's easier for us to to engage. It's easier for us to swallow it. So, like, do you feel that at least for you, it's easier to kind of pick these issues up to kind of like sort through 
the muck of everything that's happening in our world when it's presented in a format like this versus something like reading a news story or watching watching something on the news now? Um, probably. I mean, because I mean, horror again is is my it's my favorite genre. Um, and, and all my favorite horror films in my top ten lists are all horror movies. Um, and, and that's what horror has always done. Um, it doesn't matter what you know what what the monster is or what generation it's coming from. Each monster that exists deals with something either primal or something societal. You know, sundown. You know, the vampires here just being good old boy West Virginia racists. Um, stand for whatever allegory they stand for. Um, you know, looking at, but you look at Dracula, he's very much kind of that fear of death, you know, that desire for immortality and the cost that comes with it. You know, the werewolf has always been about our internal fears about our darker, our darker, I'll call them darker angels, our darker demons, I guess is probably the best way to put it because, you know, that's what the werewolf is. It's this primal instinct coming out and, and, and we see it, you know, you see it when people, you know, snap, they go out and do horrible things. They're, they're that werewolf, so to speak. And the living dead have always been my favorite because they, they're standing for everything. I mean, there's, you know, they, they, they were, when you look at George Romero's body of work, they were that, that, that changing of the guard that we were hoping was going to happen in the sixties. You know, the, 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 the old guard struggling with the new guard, you know, they were the consumers in Dawn of the Dead. Um, they were establishment day of the dead. You know, they, uh, they were the problems we love to ignore to this day in land of the dead. Um, you know, the voyeurism of Daria the dead, you know, the politics and survival of the dead, it's all there. Um, so for me, yes, very easy because, you know, you, you go into Brand of Evil and it's, it's very obvious, you know, that the monster here is, is, is the racist white man. Simple as that, you know, the, the one that wants that control. And same goes for Sundown, you know, it's, it, it, is, it is probably the most timely of all of them, I think. I think Brand of Evil can be more timeless because this is nothing new, um, as I'm to understand. But, you know, you look at Sundown, that's six o'clock news right there. It really is. And Sundown was like, I, I love you You pointed out the comedy of Sundown because uh, one thing that always catches me off guard anytime is Peter Stormare. Like, I, <laughs> I swear to God, like, I don't think I could ever be mad at that man. I don't know if I could ever have an angry bone against him because I'm sure there's other people like me and I don't even like Armageddon, but so many people go back to thinking about him helping to save the world in Armageddon. So whether he's playing Satan, like in Constantine, or he's a vampire like in this, it's like, you know what? I don't believe you're a racist, sir. I don't believe you're like that. You seem like you're too damn good for that there now, sir. It, it, like, it's like, God, like you're too damn good of a person. Like you can't do it. And I know that sounds like an insult, Peter Stormare, but it's not. You just seem like a really good person that I don't believe has a racist bone in their body, honestly. I, I don't think I've ever heard a bad story about him in, in, in my travels. That's for sure. Um, and I agree with you. I think it was more so, I think just the... I, I, you know, what him popping up on screen when he, when he does show up, number one, yep. you light up because it's like, oh, it's Peter, this is going to be great. You know, he's going to yep. do some amazing things, and he does. Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, he does lend gravity to it because there's um, there's a real, just a real gravitas that he has on screen, no matter what he's doing. I don't care if it's, you know, the five seconds he's in John Wick or, or you know, he always has a gravity to the scenes that he pulls. So the gusto that he puts into that, sells what it needs to sell but i, I mean i agree with you yeah you know you know the actor is you know far better than the <laughs> empire that he plays <laughs> hey I, I, i'm with you there so i gotta hit on this because you mentioned them you, you said you love romero and you, you like you actually went through a name a lot of influences across all all the films that he did in the dead in the living dead series is there a favorite like is do you have a favorite out of the entire series you would say oh, hands down don that is um yeah. That is the first uh, zombie film I ever saw, and I'll, I've always taken a little bit of 
eyebrow for this, but I saw it when I was five. Now, I didn't see the yeah. bad movies. My mom wasn't cool on that, but she rented it. And she, uh, you know, go, go do this for me real quick when something's coming. She knew what it was. She'd seen it, you know, out the same year that I was born. So, you know, it worked out well. Um, I saw it when I was 11, rented it, and it, it, it scared the shit out of me. I, uh, I couldn't sleep that night. It actually was a double header problem. I, I, I watched that. Uh-oh. Made the mistake of trying to eat dinner during that. That was, that was a bad idea. Because um, I'd never seen the things that I'd seen in that movie before. <laughs> Thank you, Tom Savini, for the nightmares. Um, and then Life Force was on later that night, too. It was oh, sad. my God. Oh. There's another horrifying zombie film. I will never forget some of the shots of that. I mean, I, Oh, my I God, bro. At 11? The meal. <laughs> and I, I saw that at night. So we go, you know, and I think, oh, I got this. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, we watch Saturday Night Live. We go to bed. Close my eyes. They pop right back open. And that was that. That was the summer of low sleep. Um, it terrified me to my core, and and to have a movie do that, um, that's the that's the only one that's ever really done it. Like Day of the Dead did it too, but to a far lesser extent. Like, that traumatized me to no end. And and you know, my parents let me do it. They were cool about it. They explained things later, but in that moment, it was rough. So Dawn is my all time favorite because of that reason. It was one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. It still is. I mean, I watched after Daniel Krauss and uh, George Romero brought out The Living Dead in, in, in book form. The the timeline kind of gets established finally. Yeah. So I watched them all in the same timeline. I watched them all in that order now pretty frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they come out of the pandemic, and now that they come out or are slowly coming out of the pandemic, I shouldn't say it's over. I mean, I mean, I do that. I mean, I be that guy. Yeah. Um, as we start to move slowly towards endemic, to watch Dawn of the Dead now and see that opening television sequence, it hits way harder than it did two years ago. Like it was always strong to me, but. These, you know, to have deniers on the stage there in that of, of, of this of this virus or whatever cataclysm event it is, and to see the chaos, I'm just like, wow, this um this documentary just doesn't yeah. have the zombies yet. Uh, <laughs> so that's my that's my all time favorite, Dawn of the Dead. It is uh, it is a masterpiece to me. I love it, and because it, it like similar experiences with that. Like I can't tell you if it was the first, but I think it was in the first three zombie movies I saw for sure because. I want to say I distinctly remember seeing the Savina, uh, Savini Night of the Living Dead, like oh. first and then yeah. Dawn. And like you, like you obsessed with Dawn like crazy. And oh, yeah. I remember reading yeah. the script all the time, but the original script where Peter and uh, Peter and Fran both die the, at the end of it. Um, yep, that's the oh, one. Yeah, I actually, um, I actually went to the mall. You did. So you got a chance yeah. to visit it then. Yeah, I, I actually got to ride the JCPenney elevator, which I don't know how they shot in that thing. It is tiny. <laughs> so Warnick, you are a lensing just a he's 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 a master of photography yeah um, it, it was very eerie very weird to be there it's changed now i think the irony of it is i don't know if anybody knows this story but uh obviously jc penny is no longer there because jc penny is mm-hmm. no longer around yeah and that elevator um, was being torn out and living dead museum was like well then give it to us we'll buy it we'll do what we got to do because it's a piece of film history so they they got it and they moved it to evan city the home of night of the living dead mm-hmm. and they had it on display there and then the pandemic came and no one's going to the living dead museum obviously because no one's going anywhere so they had to close down um and they had to close they had they lost they lost their lease on their building and ironically enough and roll the mall was like we have some space and they were able to renegotiate that so now <laughs> the living dead museum is in the mall and on the second floor is the very elevator that was there to begin with yeah <laughs> that's kismet that is that's 100 percent kismet at that point now that'll say it. what you say i don't know what does <laughs> oh man okay okay well, John, 
we're reaching the end here of our interview. So I'm going to ask you a question that I ask all of the people that come on to the show here now. But it's going to be a little different because, you know, in the past when I brought on filmmakers to the show, I've always asked them about a sequel to a project that they've done and like, you know, give us some like some smoke whether it's true or not about a sequel to like what it could be. You know, I asked Sean Linden, what would Hunter Hunter 2 look like now? And he gave some very fun answers about what would go down in that film with uh, Camille Sullivan and the wolf in that film, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Um, and um, so I'm curious, John, let's say we got a chance to get another Romero movie. We're going to go that route there. Sure. So we get a chance to get another Romero movie. And yeah, you know, we had, we had diary, we had survival and that was it at that point there. Survival was the last living dead film that we got there. But if Romero was still with us, he's given carte blanche. He's given, he's given the money to do whatever he wants here at this point, but you are acting as Romero at this point. Where does the next Living Dead film go? What are we looking at in, in a 2022 Living Dead film? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, because, see, this, this is a unique one because Suzanne Romero, his, his widow, um, recently made it known that there was a very, very loose treatment of what would be a finale. Um, it's been explored. And I haven't heard much past this point, but I know that she has entertained writers she's entertained um directors to talk to talk about the possibility of doing twilight of the dead is what i understand the title was okay um, and, and ironically enough um you know the living dead that, that daniel kraus uh finished that i had a chance to speak with uh, interview as well he was just a delight to talk to he's a brilliant man um mainly because i george didn't george was planning to write this book um it was going to be his you know his magnum opus because no budget here you know there's no worries about budget constraints speaking of that you know he can do whatever he wants and there's some sequences in there that are some pretty wild um like living dead on aircraft carrier you guys say more um but what made that so powerful is number one when daniel gets into it i can't tell where romero begins and daniel ends there's a couple spots that i'm like i think i got it i might be wrong um second to that it's this beautiful sweeping piece that finally puts everything into a timeline that finally gives us a pseudo ending. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say if we're talking 2022, um, I think it would need to be a very bleak film. Mm -hmm. um, I think if, if I was ever given the chance to write Twilight of the Dead, not that I've ever thought about anything like that or anything. Um, <laughs> not that I might have when I was 19 written something similar and gotten it to Tom Savini just by calling him. That never might have happened. That'd be um, insane, John. Why would you do yeah, that? Yeah, 19-year-old yeah, yeah, John would never do that. Um, but I think if there was a chance to do it, um, what I've always loved, again, is everything he does is about the times. And it's always there. Like, you know, Survival of the Dead really kind of predicted the political landscape that we're sitting in now, where it's, you know, no, I'm right and no, I'm right and nothing gets done. And, and if we... And, and, and the pandemic is a great example of that because it was, nope, this is my belief, this is my belief. If we just worked together on that, we'd have been fine. Like literally two yeah. warring families, like just make peace and we can be good. Exactly. And that's, you know, and that's, and you, when you want blue and red, I don't care which side you saw them on, it says no more. It's Democrat, Republican, and it's the same, same shit, different day in Washington. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, but the living dead taps a little bit into the dangers uh, of the cycles run into. There's a very Trump-esque character in that, um, that, you know, it, it speaks to, you know, how, natural orders upset so i would say that you know and probably just knowing george too because he always wanted to really capture that zeitgeist i think the twilight of the dead would be a very bleak ending i think it would be the kind of ending where it'd be gory as hell of course because you know you, you got to have that yeah i think um when we get to the, the subtext and the finale piece we would see the death of death um we would see the end of the living dead 
but at what cost? Hmm. I think it would be the kind of the kind of scenario where it'd be a stalemate. Um, there is a, and I think for one reason, one reason alone, there's a great documentary out there um, called The American Nightmare that IFC put out yeah. ages ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a professor in there, and I'm probably I don't remember the name. That's my bad because I watched this thing a lot, which I should know the name by now. But there's a quote in there that this professor fires off that says to me, "The summation of horror and the summation of just humanity, in that you know, it's always on the brink. Um, we always seem to be one step away from whatever disaster is going to be. And then we peel back from it, and there's peace, and then we're back to it again. Just this cycle of it. And I feel like that's how Twilight of the Dead and the Dead Saga would end. It would be about the cycle." Like, yes, the dead are gone. It's it's that past that 15 year time frame that, you know, Doc Logan said we're probably going to have. And what now? What did we learn from all of this? And I think it's a question we can definitely apply to 2020. What did we learn yeah. the past two years of the pandemic? You know, um, I think for some of us, it was a wake up call in a good way. You know, like this is my chance to, this is nature saying, I can take this away from you as quick as I gave it to you. Go do something with it. As opposed to the folks who want to get back to normal, just want to get back to, you know, to brunch and mimosas and nothing more and, and, and read back, you know, dig back into their side. I think that question would be a great way to end that saga because that is the eternal question for humanity. What comes next? Um, where are we going from here? And, and what are we going to do to get there? Because we don't think about it at all. I love it. And that's, I, I mean, you, you hit all the important themes at that point, because I, I, I do have to agree. I mean, like if Romero was still around today, bless his soul, like mm-hmm. I feel he'd have a field day with with the last like three like not even going because because you know bless his heart he's 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 been gone for a little while at this point but just the last three years he'd have a field day with and it's interesting because i'd almost be like damn like we have to go back to not a living dead because literally that's what he was talking about in there but Mm -hmm. it's like dude like you could like you couldn't even imagine george like there's not that you couldn't even imagine where the fuck we are in this world now yeah i think the one that Catches me off the most of his of his of all of his works. Um, I mean, well, all of it does. I mean, you know, you, it, sure. Change from night. I mean, the, the the changing of the guard is still happening. Yeah. Um, you know, you're seeing you're seeing the boomer generation now fighting desperately to be be replaced by you know the, the next generation, and that's 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 Harry Cooper in a nutshell. But nothing changed there. Harry Cooper still doesn't like black people. Yep. Um, plain and simple. That's there's no denying that particular subtext. You're a fool if you think it didn't happen. It's mm. obvious what Harry's problem was in this movie. And it was bad, um, yeah. but that didn't change, you know, and, and consumerism and Dawn, we got plenty to discuss there. You know I mean? It's, oh, it hasn't changed either. Um, wow. People would definitely fight for a mall. I think in this day and age still, and maybe not a mall, but they definitely fight for their favorite Best Buy. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the, the hate of establishment is still there. You know, it didn't change. You know, we thought, you know, that, that pushback against the Reagan years was going to come to something else. Nope. Just continues to be, we're sick. We're sick of the government. Um, you know, diary, perhaps more. I mean, right now, for example, you know, look at this, you know, we're on, we're on webcams. We're talking. We're we're putting out ourselves in a voyeuristic fashion. The irony is not lost upon me. Um, we'd already talked about survival's portion of it, but the one that caught me off guard the most right now is Land of the Dead because it's it's America in 2022, and I know it was intended to be a post 9/11 allegory, but holy shit, it's accurate. Rich, living in this beautiful tower with all the wonders and beauty of the world, and everybody else living in a world of shit while horrible things, or in this instance, a pandemic is surrounding you. Jesus, George yeah you know what did you know that we didn't know um so i mean that's it's, it's always been there but i mean I, I think he always just looked things very very on the level Simple yeah. as that. he just saw things for what they were and he's like this is probably how it go down and boy was he right there it is and that that's a perfect way to encapsulate it honestly and 
it is it is scary it is scary to think how timely all like uh, the it, all of his films still uh, still are like anytime right now you can look at it and be like yep. yep that's timely that works that works like there, there's a lot and that makes him even more scarier and very cool as a filmmaker to think that like you said he's had his finger on the pulse for so long even even past at this point for how many years and his finger is still on the pulse of mm-hmm. this world right now you know it's the truth. And yeah, and, and to bring it around, my hope is that, you know, we'll be like Horror Noir is going to hold up in that same vein because, you know, when you look at the lake and it's, it's and to me, the lake was always about the darkness we carry within and not being able to confront it. Yeah. I think it's a timeless theme um, that definitely can hang out for generation upon generation because heavens knows generation trauma is a new thing that we're really kind of talking about finally. Um, yeah. You know, Brand of Evil, that hasn't changed in, in, in the, since the release of this film um you know sundown is, is is as on the money as it gets you know fugue state there's a great example of another one that you know that has uh has Malcolm all that Barrett. depth to it um yeah. you know when you talk about you know the, the back to the pandemic those things there um they all have their beautiful significance and pieces that they can connect to and i hope that this is as timeless as it as well that people will continue to fawn over it the way they fawn over these other movies because they should definitely and with that john i thank you so much for joining me tonight is there anything from nerds that geek that you would like to plug. What do you guys have coming up for yourself? What can oh we man, it's stuff that I can't talk about because I'm under like impromptu impromptu spoiler alerts that I can't talk about. Um, <laughs> there's a bunch of new shows coming out in August that we're going to be covering. I'll put it that way. <laughs> there it is. And can you. we expect uh, like so everybody's favorite stuff there? What do you have coming up later this year that everybody can least expect that you can talk about there? What are you guys um, bringing I'll, back? Actually, I'll, I'll tell you this: things that I can't talk about, things that we're planning on doing. We're, we're going to do some new things this 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 summer and this fall. Um, you know, I think what's interesting about um, television is that it just kind of ends these days. There, there's so much in the cycle now that I don't, I, I, I don't feel like, and myself even, I don't feel like I celebrate serious finales enough. And there's been quite a few um, in the past couple of years. Some, some, some decidedly so, some not so decidedly so. Um, but, you know, Better Call Saul is coming up on its very end here. And we really want to celebrate that differently. We're going to be doing a very grand retrospective of episodes that really stand out from that series. The, the, the very best of the best, the kind of stuff that, some will agree with, some will disagree with. That's okay. That's the discourse. Um, but stuff that I personally, you know, thought was just the cream of the crop of the series. Um, because if I don't talk about chicanery again, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, and that, that whole monologue from Michael McKean, oh, so good. And it's going to be a similar send-off for The Walking Dead. We've got a very grand countdown for its final eight episodes. Um, we definitely have uh, the same thing, the very best of The Walking Dead. We're going to plan on talking about the 10 of those 10 seasons worth of stuff. Again, I'm sure it'll be highly controversial because there's so many episodes people love. Yep. Um, we'll be doing some bigger stuff like that as fall comes on. And obviously, as, as your favorites come back, we'll be covering them. You know, as soon as Ted Lasso comes back, cannot wait to cover that again. Um, it, is. it is one of the finest shows I've seen in years. Um, but yeah, as, as, as they come, we go. But for the big, big stuff, yeah, we're going to start celebrating some of the ends here. Because um, it's going to be, it's been a big year of endings for TV. Yeah. And it's interesting. Think about The Walking Dead because, man, like it feels like yesterday uh, when I was like, you know, you know me, like I DJ weddings and corporate stuff like that now. But when The Walking Dead first started, I was knee deep doing bar flare shows and like and like bingo and shit like that and horror trivia at sometimes at bars. And I remember I actually showed the pilot episode of The Walking Dead at the TGI Fridays that is now an in and out near the Aurora Mall here in Aurora (laughs) during a trivia show. Because it's that long ago. And to think that this is it, that we're finally here at the last season. I know we got movies coming. And oh, yeah. Spin off, but the yeah. fact that it's finally here, like it's the end of The Walking Dead. That's kind of crazy. 
It is. And, and it's been it's special to me. I mean, I just I just you know went off on a, on a vomit fest about the living dead in general for the past, you know, half hour or so. And that's why, because, you know, what to, to to have gone from an era when people were like George who, you know, and like, oh, yeah, brains and all that stuff to, to you know, did you watch The Walking Dead last night to know that 10 million people are watching are still watching it? You know, I mean, I know they're like, oh, the ratings suck now and it's still on the air like it is. And uh, it still rakes in a lot more ratings than some other shows on major networks because um, it's, it's got a very loyal following. To know that that happened um, in my lifetime um, and to have actually had a chance to talk with Greg Nicotero in that process for Creep Show, but still to talk to Greg Nicotero because I, mean, I don't know if that show would have made it 100% without him and KMB effects. Not a chance. Um, being the Romero disciple that he is and, and being as inventive as they were with stuff they did. Um, just to have all that experience, it's just been such a beautiful ride. It's going to be, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't get teary eyed about a lot of things, but that might be one that I get pretty, pretty somebody chopping onions about. And you guys do some of the best coverage of it. So we're, we're yeah, excited thanks. to see it. So folks, you got to check out nerds that geek. You can go to nerds You can follow them on Twitter at nerds that geek, find them on Facebook. Great team. John is the leader of it there. And he runs an awesome, awesome ship, folks. So please make sure you are going and following and subscribing to Nerds That Geek so you can keep up on all their great coverage of not just horror, but just in general, great TVs and movies as well, folks. Pop culture. We love it. And and make sure you're watching T-Show, please, because this is a great network to be on. So, folks, please give him all the support you need. He has some wonderful wonderful things to say. You're standing here. I don't mind saying he. Um, You you do some great commentary, and you offer some great insight on horror, and you're doing a great job. And, uh, folks, please subscribe to T. My man. Worth it. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me here on T Watches a Scary Movie. Hey everybody, I appreciate you checking out this video, whether it was a review, whether it was a new episode, whether it was an unboxing, an interview, or whatever else. I want to remind you, you can check out my separate reviews also on my YouTube page, and new full episodes go up every Wednesday night on YouTube at 8.30pm Mountain Standard Time, and on your favorite podcasting platforms at 8pm Mountain Standard Time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, like, and share. My name is T, we've been talking scary movies, stay scared.